Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your post-game Buckeye talk. Doug Marie, Stephen Meets, Nathan Baird, and I believe, I believe. This may be the first time that the three of us are around the same microphone since before the pandemic. I remember very vividly the last live podcast that we did in our office in Columbus that now is closed. Yep. That we did like sort of like the day before the world shut down. And I do not think, have we? Maybe one. What did we do? We did Minnesota. On the Thursday night last year yeah. in the hotel? Okay. And there was like a squeaky chair that we had to do it on, oh. which is why we haven't done one since. Squeaky chair. Yeah. yeah. Why did we all sit on the same chair? I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Buckeye talk. Um, all right. So we are here to talk about Ohio State's 49-20 win over Michigan State. We're in a hotel in Lansing, and we have not done that, done this kind of post-game pod this year. We're going to the Q&A. We sent it out to the texters. Three main groups of questions. About the running back injuries, Travion Henderson last week, Mayan Williams this week, then Travion left the game, like big picture. Could they could they live through running back injuries? Second big area, why don't the backups get to do more when they get in? Third big area, cornerbacks. Nathan, I will warn the tech subscribers. Not the tech subscribers, I'll warn the listeners. Ohio State played very well. CJ Stroud was great. The offense was both efficient and explosive. The defense held down a limp Michigan State offense for most of the game. When we send out a call for questions, there are not a ton of questions that are, why is Ohio State so good? So I don't want people to be tuned in for a podcast about the 6-0 Ohio State Buckeyes who are going into their off week, who certainly seems like they are playing like the best team in the country when you watch everybody else kind of have some weird games. And then get 45 minutes of, what's wrong with this team? But like that's kind of what we're going to do. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because it's the halfway point of the season. This this game capped off the first six games. So it's a very natural break, then the off week coming. And what did these first six weeks tell us about this team? Well, these three topics are three of the things that have sort of lingered through the whole six weeks. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think there's probably within... The, talking about those three areas, we can probably throw in some 
Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, Mike Hall, other things in the context. I think it's just natural when you, as a fan, if you root for a team that's competing for a national championship, if things are going so well, you're looking for the ways to poke holes in it. You're trying to find things that might prevent that. And I think that's the questions that we're going to get today are, are doing that. Like we kind of Everybody knows C.J. Stroud is really good. Every, at this point, Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka have established themselves outside of Jack Smith and Jigba, and Julian Fleming is doing the same. But it, it's more about, yeah, we know what the things that are going to win us a national championship, what are the things that can keep us from doing that. But I think also, so let's start with the running backs. Were you going to start with the running backs? I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let me just say, for instance, when we talk about the running backs, think about it this way. Like, Okay, keep, we, we, will, we will actually start with okay. the running backs. Go well, ahead just and start. The, if I'm an Ohio State fan, well, even if I'm not a fan, I'm just an observer of this team, I have to ask myself the question, like, they do fine when Trevin Henderson is gone and Mayan Williams has to step up against a bad team. And they do fine when Mayan Williams is gone and Trevin Henderson has to carry the load against a bad team. But they both keep getting hurt. So can this team win if it's just Dallin Hayden and T.C. Caffey or whoever against Penn State? You, you just asked like all five of the questions that I have lined up <laughs> uh, from the tech subscribers. From the 419, um, can this team beat Michigan without a healthy Mayan or Henderson? Right? Like kind of that, that either or. From the 425, should we panic about the running back health situation? Um, another one. If one of Mayan Williams or Trayvon Henderson could not play in an important matchup and Dallin Hayden would have to contribute early in the game, how big of an impact would that have on the offense? That's from the 3-3-6. And this one sort of goes the other way from the 2-1-6. How much do the running back injuries even matter? When you have guys that can step up like Dallin and um, Xavier Johnson to mix in the run with an elite pass game, Part of me thinks the Buckeyes can be like the college football version of the Green Bay Packers offense. CJ's elite passing can earn the respect of any defense, and the elite run blocking the offensive line can open holes for any running back or flex wide receiver. Yes, this doesn't help the third and two Michigan argument, right? Can you get a a yard that you need on a third and two run play like they couldn't last year? But just a thought. So that sort of covers everything, right? We also have a Dallin Hayden redshirt question that I actually grabbed. But that idea, Stephen, that... I don't know. Are we should should fans be closer to panic? Oh, what if Ohio State would would have to play a game without maybe one of the two main guys, or maybe even both of the main guys? Or you know what? Great offensive line, great play calling. Like almost any decent back on the roster would be good enough, and then they'll throw and play defense to win. I don't think they're at panic level, but if the if the pan, panic level was like a pamphlet that you had to pull out of a drawer. I think you pull that out of the drawer and you put it in your back pocket at this point because Dallin Hayden has looked good, yes. But it's like the Master Teague in 2019 thing. He's looked good against second stringers and against tired first stringers when they've asked him to do very little in those situations. Xavier Johnson was a running back today because the running back depth was so short because they couldn't have Travion Henderson out there for all you know meaningful snaps. He gets tired eventually and needs to come out of the game. He's a wide receiver, but he's in the wide receiver room. You have to have at least one of those guys. And we, we've had the, the Travion versus Mayan Williams debate all we want, but the point of the matter is so far both of those guys have shown that they can get it done with the upside and have those explosive moments when it needed to be. But you can't, have not, you can't be without both of those guys. I, I, Ohio State, Nathan, has won a national championship with a third-string quarterback. The, the most desperate question here is 
could they win a national championship with their fourth string running back? Which is if somehow you were without both Travion and Mayan, Evan Pryor's already out for the year. If you had to give it to Dallin Hayden 17 times in a playoff game, could they win? Probably depends on the matchup. I don't, not to take a complete cop out, but I think it probably does depend on the matchup a little bit there. What's going to happen though, and I, it, it's interesting that they asked, the, the texter asked in a significant matchup, because then it made me think, like, well, how many games left would I call a significant matchup? And I think at least half of the last six games. Penn State and Michigan, obviously. And then I think the Maryland game is becoming a significant matchup, especially because they're going to have to go on the road to do that. So those are all three instances of teams where I think they can move the ball enough that it's going to raise a sense of urgency on every Ohio State possession. So in a a playoff scenario, I think if Ohio State's the one seed and they draw the right four seed, it might not matter. But I think to beat... What I've seen from Georgia, um, and maybe what I've seen from Alabama, although they're not they're they're really uh, fooling around with Texas A&M tonight, um, and certainly what we've seen from Clemson and their defensive front, I think it would take more than Dallin Hayden. I guess so. Say that Ohio State got it. Say Trevion and and Mayan were simultaneously abducted by aliens, and Evan Pryor's out for the year, and Ohio State's in a semifinal game against Clemson or Alabama or Georgia, and they have seventy offensive plays. In that situation, do they throw it 50 times? And of the 20 times they don't throw it, like five of those handoffs go to Emeka Buka or Jackson Smith and Jigba, and three of them are CJ runs, and now all of a sudden you're handing it to Dallin Hayden 12 times in 70 snaps, and you're okay? That could work. I, I, because, I mean, we saw some of that today against Michigan State where they were handing it off to Emeka Buka. And I'm pretty sure they would do that with Jackson Smith and Jigba as well. But then you also bring in the you know the bubble screens, which are basically long handoffs. They'll, they'll they will find a way to you know supplement that a little bit. And sure, if that's what we're going to do, yes, because then you're not necessarily leaning on Dallin Hayden. It's just more you give it to him a couple of times because you actually do have to hand the ball off. But he's still not the engine of your offense. And I, I do think I mean. I think you could ask the question of any team in the country, hey, could you win a national championship with your fourth string running back? And be like, what are you talking about? Our fourth string running back is a walk-on. He's a true freshman who's never played before. No, no, we can't. No one is supposed to win a national championship with a fourth string running back. So that's the ultimate panic situation, Nathan. But I, I don't think there's any reason to believe that Ohio State should actually be worried about that, right? I mean, Travion has times when he gets dinged. Ryan Day did say after the game on Saturday that if they had needed Trevion after he got hurt today, he could have come back in. They just didn't need him. And the Mayan thing, you saw a brace on his knee on Wednesday. He didn't play, but we don't have any indication this is a long-term thing. I don't... The idea that both Trevion Henderson and Mayan Williams would be out would be far-fetched at this point. And then the question, I think, is if you only have one of them, are you okay? Yeah, I don't know if I'd say it's far-fetched just because they have both been missing entire games here the last couple weeks. So far-fetched isn't the right term, but I don't feel like that's like imminent for any reason. And even the, the knee brace we saw in Mayan Williams, it sure looked like he practiced that day or was involved in something at practice that day. I, I, it's tricky to say someone practiced. I want to make sure that we... When you see text from us, I'm going to always kind of hedge that because we don't actually get to see the practice. But... I do think, uh, where was I going with that? 
<laughs> that the idea of like, would you really be without both of them at the same time, right? And you're saying, well, they have both been out this year. I mean, if we want to... Historically, move- too, because like Mayan Williams missed some games last year. Too. Yeah. So. And Travion's just had some dings. Yeah. I, I guess, I mean, I do really think the the question that is more specific and much more realistic, and I mean, again, really has come to the front, because they have not yet had a game this year where they had neither of them. Right. But they've had plenty of games where they well, only had one of them. I know, I know how I was going to finish that that uh, thought earlier. Is that I know fans and the people that we're getting texts from are very frustrated by what seems like a series of injuries. But I wonder if this was like an NFL season where you were playing very talent equated games week after week. How many games? I think Jackson Smith and Jigba still probably would have been out. That sounds like that injury was bad enough. But like. Whatever happened with Trevion pregame last game, was it enough that it would have kept him out against Penn State or Michigan? You know, would Mayan Williams today have been able to play against Penn State or Michigan or at least like be in uniform at the game? I don't know. Maybe not. I I, I don't know because he didn't even come to this game. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I do wonder if a little bit they have been able to, you know, the, the game that Mike Hall like was in uniform and just didn't play. Was that the Toledo game? Toledo so, I mean, like, they know they're going to win those games. And it, it takes the urgency off of making sure those guys get on the field, especially in the first half of the season. So uh, that also affects these injury situations and gives you another indication why they maybe won't necessarily carry into the second half. I wonder if that's part of the reason they've approached these Tuesday and Wednesday practices. Because multiple players have said the fact that they're going harder on both of those days in full pads that maybe they have in the past is you knew the schedule was weaker, so you made up for it with these much tougher practices on Tuesday and Wednesday, which it's where a lot of these nicks and bruises are coming from. Because it's not like on Saturday we're seeing a bunch of guys getting carted off the field or being in the – I mean, guys going to tent and in football games, it happens. But a lot of this is happening where we'll be there for player interviews and like, oh, Mayan Williams all of a sudden has a, a, a brace on his knee or – this guy looked fine, but then like we get to this, uh, the availability report and, oh, Cameron Martinez isn't playing or Tanner McAllister's got an issue. So maybe some of this is they offset the fact that the schedule was maybe not that strong to start the season, that they went so hard in practice that it, it resulted in a lot of these injuries. So I wonder, as the maybe you play tougher teams, maybe they'll scale back on some of these crazy tough practices during the week that lead to these little nicks and bruises we're seeing. We also didn't know that the schedule was going to be bad. You thought Wisconsin was a top yeah. 25 team in Michigan right. State preseason. Uh, the top maybe they didn't team. either. It turns out they stink. Yeah, so, they probably didn't think Ohio that State either. Ohio makes them look like they stink. I, I do think the other way to look at it is, okay, we just said, well, everybody in the country, if they said, can you win a national championship with your fourth string running back, you'd be nervous about that. I don't know how many teams there are that would say, well, as long as we have one of our top two backs, we're fine. And we're not even sure it matters which one it is. We just need one of them. I think that is a very advantageous position. Mm-hmm. That is, I don't think, would we agree that they almost certainly probably need one of the two. But they maybe also probably don't need both in an individual game. Now, the whole point is they might need both to get through the season because it's kind of been going back and forth, right? But if you yes. said, hey, guys. In a playoff semifinal, there's only only one guy's going to be healthy. And we don't even know which one it is, but it's only going to be one. I think I would say, okay, well then just give that guy the ball 20 times and throw it like crazy and play good D and you'll be okay. I don't think they need in an individual game both, which speaks to the thing we've been talking about. All it's like if Mayan hadn't come on like this and you said, well, you don't have Trey 
and now you got to go to Mayan. Like, if it was Mayan last year, I'd have been like, I don't know about that. But now it's like, all right, well, we just saw what happened when you give the ball to Mayan Williams 20 times. He goes crazy. They just gave the, the ball 18 times to Trayvon Henderson in the first half on Saturday, and they were fine. They were good. The run game wasn't lacking. No. So I do think you have to look at it that way. It's like, oh, what if the top two backs are both out? Well, what are the chances of that? And as long as you have one of them, you're in pretty good shape. I also think we saw the other wrinkle tonight, which is really even before they went to Hayden with actual handoffs, they went to Xavier Johnson, I think. I think he got the first non-Henderson handoff. He was coming in, and I know to your chagrin, because you thought it was actually a four-receiver setup. Ryan Day killed my vibe. It wasn't really a four-receiver setup. I mean, it still kind of was. (laughs) I mean, like, Xavier Johnson is not. Okay, no, the first snap he took. Was a four wide receiver set. Yeah, before like he slot. went to the backfield. Double before he went to the backfield. Yeah. So I think you could probably count that. I'm letter, taking that letter of the law. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they, so even before Henderson got hurt, and even before they started using Dallin Hayden, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't spell him with Hayden. They spelled him with Xavier Johnson mm-hmm. tonight. He took two handoffs, and then Trevion was back out there for the third. I can't remember if it was a third down, but it was like the mm-hmm. third play of that series. So. That's another option that they have. If it's just a matter of this guy needs a, a breather for five minutes, so somebody else go in there and run a couple plays. Or they just get creative, and when Jackson gets back, instead of that being Xavier Johnson, that's Jackson Smith the Jigba. Or their seventh-best linebacker was a starting power five running back last year. So, I mean, it's like right. it's one of those things yeah. like, I, oh, All what if Ohio things. State has to win a national championship with its seventh-string running back? And it's I, like, well, that actually might work too. I do think that is... One of the weirder things that's happening with this team right now, in some ways, the Chip Trainum thing. Because running back clearly is an issue. And I guess you're always one injury away at linebacker you're from not. that being an injury from that being an issue. Well you are though. But Tommy, he's not. Tommy Eichenberg's Tommy, a cyborg. How would Tommy Eichenberg get injured? It's not even point? that. It's just it, I think I'm thinking more of the, the we've will talked spot. About yeah. a, well, we've talked about a Mecca maybe being everybody's backup when everybody's healthy. What if the same thing is at linebacker where Cody Simon is the backup Mike and backup Will? So if you lose Tommy Eichenberg, you just put Cody Simon back at Mike and still Chambers is still your Will. Right, but then you're still proving my point because then you are down to where Chip Trainum now is the primary backup at probably both of those spots. Or yeah. certainly at least it's But he never played. Has but he played I, a linebacker snap the whole year? Yeah, in some not a, time. Not a meaningful one. Not, not, in, not, with, yeah, not with the game on the line. I, I just think I, I've been the one that all season long was like, I put his over-under on carries at 0.5. And people were asking this week, texters were asking mm-hmm. as we got closer to the game or even today, and I was like, listen, like unless Henderson now can't play and it's early in the game, I don't see Trainum taking a snap or a, a snap in the backfield. But I do sort of wonder, like, if what if like if they trust CJ Hicks enough, if they trust some of these other younger guys enough, do they look at that in the second half? But then now he's just gonna kind of be probably end up being caught in between. I do think if if Mayan and Travion got simultaneously abducted by aliens in early November. I think Chip Trainum would get carries against Michigan. Like if you knew it ahead of time and you had some some, some runway to, to, like some run way to get him ready. Tuesday yeah. and you gave him two days of practice to. Finish. I mean, if you found, yeah. or if you found out if like if they were gone and you had two weeks to get ready, right? Yeah, I mean, right. like, and then it's like, well, who are your running backs? Well, it's Dallin Hayden and Chip Trainum. We'll figure it right. out. Okay. The other thing is, and I, I like questions like this because I don't really understand them anymore. From the four one two, was Dallin not going to play in any remaining games to preserve the red shirt? If so, with that ruined due to Trey going out, what's the plan for Dallin the rest of the year? Here's the red shirt discussion for anybody all time. The rest of the 
in the history of redshirting at Ohio State? What is the universe in which Dallin Hayden is here in year five and the starting running back? Right, yeah. What? Uh, like, it I mean, doesn't matter. Right, because think about it. He, next year, he's still third on this depth chart. So I've always looked at mm-hmm. him as, even if he leaves but early. Just generally, oh, but no, not no, even no. him. He, and depending on... Uh, well, Maya, he might not be third. Yeah, Maya yeah. is playing really well and could possibly go to the NFL. But if he doesn't, Dallin Hayden is fourth. Possibly, yeah. So I, I always have thought of him as someone who's going to be Fifth-year skill guys year don't play. exist at Ohio State anymore. Right. Maybe fifth-year offensive lineman. Maybe a fifth-year tight end. Maybe a fifth-year guy did a position switch. Fifth-year skill guys don't exist. Because if you're here in year five... You're not starting, not as a skill guy, because you're passed mm-hmm. by somebody who's a third-year guy who's about to be a first-round pick. So, like, the idea that I, I just, it like, I understand it used to be a conversation like this. But it wasn't, but this year this wasn't going to be a, I know that tonight was his fifth game, but they were going to play enough other games with that were going to be blowouts where they were going to need someone to run the ball late in the game. But early enough in the game that they weren't going to just let TC Caffey do it. Like he was going to burn the red shirt eventually. It didn't get. It got burned technically tonight, but it was going to get burned. It got burned. The, you kind of. It got burned the minute Evan Pryor got hurt. Yes, that's actually the best. Way. But also, the yes. fact that it got burned doesn't matter at all. That Correct. too. Yes. Which is which is the main thing because I mean it might matter because there's like SMU guys who are sitting out games because they want to transfer. Like for the individual player, if you think, man. I don't know that I see yeah. my future here at this school as playing. I want to preserve a year of eligibility because I'm going to transfer. It might matter to the player. It doesn't matter to the program. Right. Ohio State, for the program, red shirts for skill guys is a 0% conversation. Right. And again, for him, even if you were thinking about transferring, I don't think he needs that fifth year. Like He would still be transferring to play up through his fourth year, and that's it. Okay, quick break. When we come back, we're going to extend this conversation briefly about the idea of could you win without certain guys? And then we have a lot of other questions. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, this one from the 614 sort of expands the Mayan Trey conversation we were having. I think it expands it in a really interesting way. Good question from the 614. Aside from CJ Stroud, is there anyone on this team the Buckeyes can't win a game without? A game? Um... Let's say win a big game. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna add big game. Okay, Paris Johnson's at the top of that list for me. Yeah, that's actually the first. I'd person start I was thinking yeah, of. Paris. I honestly might just list all five starters on the offensive line, and then we can have a conversation. Oh, about. I think they could do most of what they needed to do if Enoch Vamahi was playing guard and Matthew Jones slid to center, and they didn't have one of the three interior oh, guys. Well, okay, yeah, fine. Okay, but for sure the tackles. For sure, the tackles, maybe not Donovan yet, because he's he's been good this year, but he's still had some like I'm a first year starter moments. But you're, and you're a guard, and you're a guard. Yeah. I, so, I, I'm really close to putting Mike Hall on this list. Like he's, he's like the most oh. destructive, disruptive guy they have on that defensive line. In terms of like, yeah, he gets home, and I mean, there's caveats to why the other guys may or may not be getting home, but the point of the matter is he's getting home. What about Eichenberg? The way he's playing the way he's and the way playing. Jim Knowles is using him. Yes. I think, well, but that's two different things. Well, it's not. It's, no, because he's, he's being well, effective in But the it, question so. is, right. would he be, because the question is, well, would he just be able and willing to use Cody Simon the exact same way if Cody Simon was getting all the reps? And I think the answer is yes. Or he would use whatever linebacker there in much the same way. I think it's it's about using that position as a weapon. I'm not trying to take anything away from Tommy Eichenberg because he has excelled, but... 
I think it's I think they have other guys who could be utilized that way. Before the season, if we asked this exact question, how high on the list would Jackson Smith and Jigba have been? Or would he have not have been that high because we would have anticipated, you know what, MHJ, Emeka, Julian, they're okay. they'd be okay. I think initial reaction you would have put him first until what you just said. We actually thought about the way Heartland's been developed in this room. I think he would have gradually moved down as we started naming other positions. But I don't think he would have slipped out of the top five. Which is proof at the moment. It's like now as we sit here, if they were to play Alabama or Clemson or Michigan or Georgia without Jackson Smith and Jigba, would we think to ourselves, well, it greatly reduces their chances of winning? I, I don't think we would. Yeah, no, right? I think he does more to help than him not being there hurts. Honestly, and it's hard because of the position he plays, but just the things that Cade Stover has done these first couple of weeks here, I think you can make a case that he should be higher on that list because I don't but, see them doing that with like G. Scott and you know and, the other tight ends. And I think that's a good point. I guess that there's a difference between, hey, let's make a top 10 list of the guys they can't live without, and then there's the where do you draw the line of these are actually – it's this number of guys – that if they didn't have this guy against a very good team, you would feel like their chances of winning were significantly reduced. Mm -hmm. And I honestly might put just two guys on that list, other than CJ. CJ, of course, is number one far and away. And it might just be Paris and DeWand as the two tackles. And you kind of think you'd figure... I mean, because what if, if you're playing Alabama, honestly, whatever, you're play, or if you're playing Caleb Williams... Maybe you just get Zach Harrison a bunch of extra snaps at defensive tackle, right? And you just tell Tyleek yeah. Williams, you got to bring it and whatever. And if, like you said, maybe they use – I just think the quality of the backup – and this is, this is a depth conversation, right? And the tackle depth is the weakest part of the team. And then, and then the, the corners, none of the corners are playing well enough to feel like you'd miss them. So it's like, okay, well, they already played a game where J.K. Johnson and, and Jair Brown had to start, and they seem fine. So you before the season, I think we would have put Denzel Burke high on this list, yeah. and now it's like, all right, if you said, well, you got to play Jair Brown instead of Denzel Burke against Alabama, you'd be like, well, okay, I guess they're okay. Maybe it's that's the hardest one to gauge though, because they just haven't played anybody who can really consistently threaten them there, and it, and when when and when that off a better offense gets paired with a better defense that isn't just getting blown off the field by Ohio State, because we were talking about this after the game, how it just like so. It, what Ohio State's doing offensively is so relentless right now that it is beating these other offenses into submission because they know they can't possibly keep that up. I mean, my God, what does Iowa have to be thinking looking ahead two weeks at having to score even one touchdown in a game is is a stretch for them, let alone one per minute? I think all that Iowa's thinking right now is, please fire your son. I think that's the only thought in the entire state of Iowa. And then you can leave the with moment. him. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So I, th I think we zeroed in on It's like they have pretty good depth in a lot of places. I mean, how many how many offenses in the country could miss what I th we all would agree is probably rightly considered the best receiver in the country for the first half of the season and still be the best passing attack in the country? Like, that's what we're talking about here. And then you, we have seen some depth develop. I mean, we're talking about that tonight. Josh Proctor was playing super important snaps, snaps Stephen, yeah. at the beginning of the year. He's playing like garbage time snaps tonight because Lathan Ransom played the whole game. 
right? They just they have some depth at certain spots. And I was sitting here thinking, maybe you throw Ronnie Hickman on that list as like the guy who just does his job really well. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you're shrugging your shoulder because it's like if Ronnie Hickman wasn't here, Lathan Ransom would probably just be the starting adjuster and Josh Proctor would be at Bandit and you'd be all good. You'd say, well, we didn't plan to start 17-year-old Sonny Styles against Bryce Young, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, quick one from the 606. What was the issue with my call? Limited snaps. He did talk after the game. What do we believe to be the case with the guy who everyone would just, say is the most disruptive defensive tackle? Yeah, I mean, from what he said, it was a pitch count situation that, you know, like I was saying before about the injuries, they definitely held guys back when they thought it was a game they were going to win anyway, and it sounds like that might have been a little bit the case tonight. But he, he wasn't so compromised that he couldn't play some. So he basically just made him almost what Zach Harrison was last week, kind of like a third down. Well, Zach Harrison wasn't a specialist. But they sort of just made my call a third down specialist tonight. So it's almost like an NFL position in a way. And he played like maybe maybe a dozen snaps yeah. and had two and a half sacks. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so it's, I mean, that's a specialist doing his job at a special level. He even said that he was begging Larry Johnson to let him play more. And Larry's just Because, you know, I mean, long term, fully healthy, he's not a specialist. No. He's a three down D tackle who's the best defensive tackle on the roster and probably should be playing 45 snaps against Michigan, right? Yes. But he's... Yeah. yeah. Him and Tommy Eichenberg at this point are the only clear All-Big Ten guys. Hall, I... Yeah, I, I think Hall... Healthy Hall doesn't need to come off the field. Except to get just the occasional breather that you yeah. get in a defensive tackle rotation. But it, otherwise, he needs to be out there for Forever. every important snap. Okay. Uh, from the 513. While the outcome was never in doubt, should we be concerned about the lack of discipline early in the game? Penalties extending drives and leading to points for Michigan State are about enough, but you can't do that sort of stuff against more talented teams. That's from Arge Sarge. Nathan, they did, I mean, Michigan State scored two touchdowns against the starters, right? One is the pick six, and one was a drive that was completely kept alive by Ohio State defensive penalties. By Cam Brown. Yeah, right. I mean, it's... um, I'm sure they drove, but like Zach Harrison had a hands-to-the-face penalty at an inopportune time, I think, on that drive. There, there were some things that I'm sure were driving Jim Knowles nuts. I do think it's probably more specifically, Cam Brown had a really bad pass interference where where Peyton Thorne rolled left, was desperate, threw a duck that really had no chance of being caught, and Cam Brown was beaten, just like dove at the receiver before the ball, the ball got there. Uh, on a play that did not look like a, a human pass. But that was earlier. That wasn't even that on wasn't that, drive. that drive. That okay. was So on that drive, there was actually a play. Uh, it, <laughs> this epitomized Ohio State's cornerback situation to me this season. Denzel Burke on a, on second down had actually made it was second and four, and he made a really nice play. That I mean, Thorne's not some kind of like crazy dual-threat guy necessarily, but he's running the ball, and Burke, who has had his tackle issues, let's say, early this season, just, like, chased him and followed him and, like, took him down at the line of scrimmage for no gain. Nice open field tackle by himself. Like, I, it was a good play by Denzel Burke. I know that's maybe, it's weird how low the bar has fallen for him, but that was a good play. And in the next play, there was a different pass interference penalty against Cam Brown. And I don't remember exactly, well, actually the penalty got waived because it was a complete pass. Oh, right. So the guy caught the pass even while you were interfering with him, which is, I think... 
maybe the like the cardinal sin of being a defensive back. Like if you're gonna get interference, like do it well. Don't give up more yardage on the pass that they're catching. And then later in that drive, it wasn't another PI. It was he got called for a horse collar. Oh, on Ronnie play Hickman on the sideline. Ronnie Hickman got called for a horse collar on the sideline. Is it? So we're gonna get into the cornerback issues at the no, end. No, it was Brown. Brown got the yeah, horse Brown. collar. It was Cam Brown. It, it was. Yeah, it was Cam Brown. That was yeah. a seven-play, seventy-six-yard drive plus three te- Ohio State penalties. And on Michigan State's only actual like scoring drive against the starters. So, so let's save the corner thing because then Cam Brown came out for a while. Yeah, yeah. And so right after that, that problem might be fixing itself. Is there any general vibe of beyond that one specific player oh. lack of discipline, untimely mistakes, letting an offense up off the mat? Just, just like Brown came out temporarily, but he was back in the game later. But no, he came, he out, came out a couple again. series. Yeah, he like, came JK, out again. And, and, yeah. and, and that, I want to talk about that more because was okay. that an indication of something? But yeah. is there a general vibe of lack of discipline with the defense? Or no, not general vibe. Zach Harrison was trying to get a pass rush and got yeah. his hands up a little high. I don't and then, have like, a the other pop, st- like, yeah. it's That stuff, like some of this stuff is just football stuff happens sometimes. I think earlier in the season there were some discipline issues in some of these games that even was getting under Ryan Day's skin. I don't qu- classify these ones as that. Even the pass interference ones is you just aren't doing a good job at being a cornerback. The other ones are just you're playing football and things happen. So I, I don't think it was necessarily an issue the same way it was in weeks one and two when they're getting, you know, unsportsmanlike penalties. Yeah. Okay. Corner, cornerback play has cropped up as an issue in every game this season. And it's just been And, and we're going to get to it. And we're going to get to it, yeah. As long as there's no... No, I don't, I don't think. No. Okay. no, 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 no. This was a penalty also from the six, seven, eight. Am I the only one frustrated every time I see them kick a kickoff out of bounds? It seems like it's happening way too often. Nathan, they have eleven kickers. None of them can keep the ball in the field of play. It's weird. It was the first kickoff tonight, right? I mean, they've played six games and they've had three kickoffs go out of bounds. And I know they kick the ball. I know they kick off a lot. So if you were That's doing true. this, if yeah. you were doing What's it like a kickoff out of bound percentage, like a like ratio, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it'd be like like sack rate. I went into a whole thing last week about sack rate and how Ohio State sack rate actually is pretty good when you consider nobody's throwing the ball against. Like, so maybe their kickoff out of bounds rate isn't that bad. But I do know that there were no teams in the Big Ten coming into tonight that had kicked it out of bounds three times. So Ohio State's either the first to do it or one of only a couple that have done it. Is, We've theorized about why Ryan Day has 11 kickers. Is that one of the reasons that they know they're going to score so much? The kicker's legs might get tired mm. from kicking off, so they want to rotate the kickers? Rotating them strength. I get it. No, but... but not but, strength. But, but they're, not, they're actually not doing it. It's just Jaden <laughs> yeah. Fielding right now, right? Right. And the reason that they went and got Parker Lewis was because of the kickoffs. And they didn't let him kick off. But now he can play. He's yeah. allowed to play right. now, and he's not yet the kickoff guy. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't have a – I think that's weird. And he was not on the travel roster. Let's see what happens in the off week. I think that's mm-hmm. a very – yes, I'm keeping my eye on that. It's the number one thing to watch in the off week. <laughs> well, also, no, like, I, mean, hey, I would say like Jackson's well, Jackson 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 Jackson. But, but number one, <laughs> number one, who's the kickoff guy? Um, let's do this. Steven, I know you wrote about this after the game. I think I would direct people to cleveland.com slash OSU. There's a good story about it. We have comments from everybody. But let's just tell the loyal Buckeye Talk listeners here from the 248, who messed up on the pick six? Stephen, how do we explain that? So from both Stroud and Emeka Buka, the point of the route was 
if the corner that uh, Charles Bradley, I believe, was the corner who um, had the pick six. I don't know if he was the one in coverage on Emeka Ibuka in that play. But if the corner was impressed, man, Emeka Ibuka was running a go route. If the corner, you know, was playing off coverage after the snap, then he was running a hitch route, which is basically you just go up and you go out or you go in, depending on, you know, where you're at on the field. Emeka was was getting pressed, so he went. But then all of a sudden, the cornerback backed off in the off coverage. But the thing Emeka noticed was, okay, I'm probably supposed to run a hitch route now, but I'm already five yards open down the field. I'm just going to keep going because I'm probably going to get a touchdown here. But C.J. Stroud was not thinking like that, and he's expecting because he saw the off coverage for Emeka Ibuka to run a hitch. And that hitch never happened, but he threw the ball anyway, and so it's a pick six. Ryan Day said it's his fault because he should have helped him out in that play, just like any head coach would say. C.J. Stroud said it was his fault because it, but C.J. Stroud said not only was it his fault, Emeka Ibuka ran the right route. So it's C.J. Stroud's fault why there was a pick six, but it was a miscommunication between all the people. But And it is one of those, that that's a different, I think, Miscommunication, because like I'm very on alert for this, because the Browns have been miscommunicating in the secondary and blowing coverages all season. Mm-hmm. There's miscommunication, and then there's we know what we're supposed to do, but we sort of read it differently, mm-hmm. right? And I do think what Ryan Day is saying there, it's like it's a little bit of an in-between coverage. It's like the corner was sort of like was he pressed up, but then he bailed late or whatever, and like it was kind of an in-between coverage. And then two guys kind of reacted to the in-between thing in different ways. And I think that's what Ryan Day is saying. Like, hey, we got to work more specifically on if you get exactly this, then what do you do? But it's not like Emeka Buka forgot the play. Or it's not like C.J. Stroud read something ridiculously wrong. They both, I think, had reasonable thought processes behind what they did, but they just missed each other and the result is a pick six which i think is really right is much much different than oh somebody somebody ran the wrong route like the wrong or the wrong play because you can have a conversation on the sideline after that in a way that it isn't like leading to a whole bunch of extra questions because it boils down to cj stroud stuck with the plan and emeka buka because he's so much better than the guy who's covering him went maybe in the playmaker mode it's like i'm open but, but so i don't even know. know because Emeka, the way Emeka explained it was like the guy was in one coverage and then right at the snap he sort of played a different coverage yeah and so I, you could understand it wasn't like i don't think Emeka freelance no no i'm not saying freelance but no. he even said the fact that like i'm already five yards down here so i'm gonna keep going here to me it's a cousin of ohio state's final play from 2019 fiesta bowl where olave mm-hmm. sees justin fields doing something he acts off of that, but as as like at the moment he's doing that, Fields lets the ball go, and now it's 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 a domino effect that can't be stopped. I think Ryan Day after the game said something like, "I could have done a better job preparing them." I, I didn't hear those explanations yet because he talked first. Right. But those explanations that you guys are bringing to this, I, I wondered at the time if he was saying almost that I they had something on paper or in their minds that was maybe a little needlessly complicated, and then maybe you can dumb that down a little bit and avoid making that mistake the second time. And Dave's talked about that with Stroud some of the times, where it's like, yeah, Stroud wants all this but, information, but sometimes the simpler the better. You don't want to throw too much at him. Well, but, I, well, I also wonder if it might be the opposite of like, well, if it's off coverage, it's this. If it's man, it's this. But what do you do if the guy sort of like mans up and then bails right at right. the snap? Like right. I almost wonder yeah. if it wasn't or, complicated yeah. enough. Something that they hadn't accounted for. Yeah. Right. Something that they hadn't thought through. And and also, like, that's the kind of thing that C.J. Stroud's going to have to do when he's playing against. Maybe not so much the Browns. They'll do it for him. But a good defense next Yeah. Week. 
No, and it, it's, um, but again, it's a lot of these, it's, it's, and again, it's very common, but it's like, it's receivers and quarterbacks running routes. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of what Graham Mertz's pick six against Ohio State was early in that game, yeah. that it wasn't, it looks like a miss, yeah. and then Wisconsin goes in the postgame and says, hey, that's our one guy who can kind of run an option route in that situation. He read the coverage one way, Mertz read it the other way, and the result is you throw it, you hit the defender in the chest, and it's a pick six. Because that's almost, like, you can tell. But again, it, I think sometimes in the moment, people, you might say, oh, like, somebody screwed up. And it's and this is not really, it's almost not a screw-up. Right. Again, it's not, it's not someone ran the wrong route. It's just... We read it different ways, and now what can we learn for next time? And again, they handled it, I thought, um, and Stephen has this all in the story, like just the explanation. Man, is a Mechag Buka a great guy to talk to. Smart and kid. man, do we love talking to C.J. Stroud. And just like their explanations and the way I said to Mecca, I said, you know we had our binoculars on you guys when you got to the sideline to see if you were going to like get in a fight with each other. And he's like, yeah, no, I know. Like we, you know, And it's like, that's not what happened. So um, go read Stephen's story to get a full explanation of that but i thought we just were lucky again thanks to jerry emig and mike bass for the sids we got cj stroud we got a mecca book we got ryan day and you're able to talk that out which after a game like this it's like hey congratulations on the 49 whatever that pick six but it's like but it, but it wasn't just like a, a blame game yeah. it was like let's get inside the play and see what what maybe they're learning from that so this game was kind of over quick from the 4-4-0 Guys, long-time listener, first-time texter, I find it hilarious to listen to Kirk Herbstreit and Chris, Chris Fowler commenting on blowout games. They get so bored, they go so far off track. Anyway, two things you guys should be aware of. ESPN totally ripped off your Kings of the North saga, which we had many people, thank you, mention to us on the text. And then you guys mentioned the, the crappy ESPN mic work a couple weeks ago. When you rewatch this game, listen closely towards the end of the third quarter, the mic starts picking up a clearly drunk fan, and he's screaming at Kyle McCord, apparently. So uh, we can uh, we can look forward to that when we go home and rewatch this. Thanks for everything. Love listening to you guys. Uh, and then another person, so you know ESPN copied your Kings of the North and put Game of Thrones graphics with Ohio State, Penn State, etc. That's from the 614. Nathan, as, as you pointed out, Maybe we could try to sue, or maybe a texture pointed out, right? It's like, hey, ESPN stole our idea that we stole from George R.R. Yeah. Martin, so I think we're kind of stuck there. Yeah, yeah. Someone said, uh, you, you guys should try to sue them, and then immediately followed up with their own text. Uh, maybe somebody has a cause of action against the both of you. Um, yeah, listen, imitation is the best form of flattery? No, it is, and it's like, listen, it's like it's not a completely unique idea, but no. ours was better. They did like game of the Big Ten. I mean, their phrasing was weird, um, but I actually also, I mean, like, what do their researchers do? It's like they read everything about the teams that are right. I mean, like, yeah. that's what somebody read our thing, and I, and my guess would be it helped inspire it, which is fine. Just like cite your work, man. No, it's okay. I, I mean, teach no, you that but when also it's grade school to cite your work. Oh, game of the Big Ten, like what's that sucked. Yeah, that's that's nothing. No, no, I know, I know. It's okay. It's not okay, but it is. No, it's okay. No, we don't care. It's fine. No, we're flattered. It's okay. But we're kind of mad. No, no, we're not mad. It's fine. Let's talk about the last two things that really matter. A lot of them on this, I just pulled two from the nine five four. Why not just kneel out the entirety of every fourth quarter? What they do is just pointless. And then from the three one seven, why aren't we letting McCord throw? So this is one of those. We did a podcast on this walking out of Spartan Stadium to the car tonight where we were discussing this. Nathan, I do think six games in with multiple blowouts, it has reached the point 
where it is a little weird how little Kyle McCord gets to do. And as we discussed, to me, if you're keeping C.J. Stroud in the game instead of getting Kyle McCord work, fine, great. He's trying to win the Heisman. He only This is his last year at Ohio State. Let C.J. cook. But to put Kyle McCord in and turn him into a handoff turnstile, I don't get. What, what are we to make of it at this point, Nathan? I don't know. Because as we were walking to the car, having that conversation, I brought up, I think that in 2020, this is the kind of game that Dabu Sweeney would have had DJ Uyunglele in the game in like the second quarter. Because that's how you almost like assure yourself that you're going to get that guy reps running the real offense without compromising your chance to win the game and without also looking like you're running up the score later. But it doesn't seem like Ryan Day is going to do that. Now, Ryan Day could probably come back and see, say, did you see DJ Uyunglele play quarterback last year? Like maybe it didn't help him that much and maybe it's not that big a deal and maybe he's right. But if, if it were me, I don't, I, just, I don't see the downside to having Kyle McCord sneak in an extra series earlier in the game. I also just don't see the downside of the thing you've been pushing for, which is whoever, whenever he goes in the game, let him run the real offense at least for some period of time. Because there's almost not a point to him out there. If you're just going to have someone out there handing it off, let Devin Brown do the bulk of that. Maybe Devin Brown ends up getting more snaps than Kyle McCord. But like, so that means if Kyle McCord can only go in and run the offense for one series, but he runs it legit, the real offense with like, horizontal passes, the long handoffs, and some long vertical stuff, and finding tight ends down the seam and everything else. Like, let him go all out, even if it's a shorter tenure, because then you're just going to hand it off after he leads a touchdown drive. And it's almost more important because most of the guys on this roster are going to be here next year when he's probably the starting quarterback. Whether it's center Luke Whipler, so it's handoff and exchanges right there, or it's the wide receivers because Jackson Smith the Jigba isn't playing, or it's the running backs with Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. Most of these guys are still going to be here next year, but more importantly, this is the same guy who after 2019 was talking about how important that year was because they had all these blowouts and all these guys got so many extra reps and so much experience that I prepared them for 21, but then turned around and was constantly talking about the fact that none of his quarterbacks had thrown a pass before the 2020 season. That was such a big deal. So how about you go the extreme the other way now that you are back to normal and you're not worried about COVID. You get Kyle McCord as many reps as possible and get as far away from the concept of none of my quarterbacks have ever thrown a pass. Now, the devil's advocate that I threw in there, though, as far as the putting Kyle McCord in the second quarter, was maybe he sees too much value in getting Stroud stats that would help him win the Heisman. Because if you win the Heisman and you now have produced a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and your program has another one, then does that pay off for you more over the next decade than just getting Kyle McCord a few more pass attempts over the course of a year. I suppose I'll listen to that argument. I just don't know that one series here or there is going to cost C.J. Stroud. Because at some point, I think people do start to look at some of those numbers in context. Like, okay, he got five touchdowns against oh, Michigan I don't State. Think Did they he do. need that no, sixth touchdown? I don't touchdown? think they look at context yeah. at all. But, but I actually don't even think that's the conversation. Let's just talk about when Kyle McCord is going into the games. That's just, I mean, I, I think it's a good idea, but let's just talk about what is happening. He was in for four series at the end of this game. The last series was basically just running out the clock, so maybe only three series, but it was punt, 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 and then run out the clock, or the four series Kyle McCord was in for. In those four series, they handed off the running backs 12 times, and Kyle McCord threw two passes. 
So I think that that is the thing that is actually happening. And he went in, the first series he went in, the first team offensive line was still in. Mm-hmm. They had the backup skill guys in. But the first team of offensive line was in. They started off at the 17-yard line, two-yard run for Dallin Hayden, three-yard run for Dallin Hayden, four-yard pass on third and five punt. Just like how often do they run run on first and second down in any series? It's not that often. It's not like it's half the time their first two plays are handing off to the running back, but it feels like that's what Kyle McCord does constantly. Handoff, handoff, and then if it's third and medium or third and long, then he has to try to throw something, but he's not running the offense. And just in that specific conversation, I don't know why that is. And it has reached the point, six games in, in what will be C.J. Stroud's last year at Ohio State, where it makes me wonder what Ryan Day thinks of Kyle McCord. And maybe that's not fair, but that has been created by the lack of actual offense that Ryan Day lets Kyle McCord run. And this is the guy that everybody right at the moment is expecting to be Ohio State's starting quarterback in 2023. And that is just a little weird. Isn't it weird? It's weird because we also have gotten to see Kyle McCord play because he started last year. So you asking that question of what was what was Ryan Day's initial reaction from that game, but then also has he's gone back and watched that film, how did he feel about Kyle McCord and has he has Kyle McCord behind the scenes improved drastically beyond what we saw in that well, Akron game. But we, I mean, the Akron game wasn't anything great by any means, but it wasn't some kind of catastrophe. No. But and I think if you can, as a true freshman, if you can hang with Akron, you can play these second strings in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. Or I, even the first strings of some of these teams. I And the other thing that we brought up that makes this even weirder is if you're if that time should be used to help prepare for next year, you know who might be completely inconsequential to this offense next year? Dallin Hayden. So, like, you're getting him a ton of reps, a ton of times with the ball, and he may just not be important to this team this year. It, it's not a Because he's probably, uh, unless, he's unless there's unexpected, yeah, he's yeah, a fourth he's string running back. Third or fourth string, yeah. So, the other thing, though, again, you don't like to speak these things into existence. Ohio State might need Kyle McCord to run the real offense this year to win important games. He's next up. Like, that's the other thing that keep I keep coming back to is at some point you've got to prepare him for this year. Hopefully you never need him if you're Ohio State, but you've got to prepare him as if he has to go lead a drive to beat Penn State. It's Alabama season. just played a whole game with its backup quarterback. They played the basically the last two. And I mean, even though Bryce Sean was dressed this game and but the point Kyle McCord came in with what, like two minutes left in the third quarter? What does it hurt? If that first drive he's out there, he's running the real offense. Now, if and you he's with the first team offensive right, line. If you no, that and you know, maybe you give him the first two drive, and then you go in the handoff mode because you're trying to get out of here. But CJ Stroud and this offense, more than likely in most of these games, is going to be done doing what it's got to do with like four minutes left in the third quarter. That's where that's the a fair expectation to have until maybe the Penn State game. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. That's not hurting anybody. It's, these are scholarship players. Power five scholarship players. You need to stop worrying about people's feelings and allow Kyle McCord to have a moment, have an opportunity to throw the ball. And he, I, I, I don't know where the like fear is involved in this for Ryan Day. Like I, I don't know. Some of this is coaches like to be in complete control and they, and they want to do things the way that holds on to that control the most. But like if I don't know, man, you're up thirty five to thirteen at halftime. If you can't put Kyle McCord in to start the second half 
and finish a game but, off. But even, but again, I just don't think like CJ playing the first two drives of the second half is fine. It's yeah. when he's in. It's not. I don't really think it's a discussion about when he should go in. It's what he's doing when but they put him in. You don't think the way that they have him run the offense is affected by when they put him in? He had three full drives. Yeah, that's enough. And they, they, he threw two passes. Like I don't. I just. I mean, I, I, there is some correlation. I like the fact that I like when he goes in with the first team offensive line. I would like him to be in the game with the first string receivers for a series too. But. I am. I personally am not calling for C.J. Stroud to come out of games earlier, because C.J. Stroud is the starting quarterback of potentially the best team in the country. He is a Heisman candidate, and I don't think you should only get to play a half. I think you should get to play more than that. But when Kyle McCord is in this season, and he did get to do some stuff against Toledo, we do have to keep that in mind. Five of seven for one fifteen against Toledo. Before that, he was three of four for nineteen against Arkansas State. Wisconsin, he got in, didn't throw a pass. Two of three for seven yards against Rutgers. Two of two for 16 yards against Michigan State. So so that's, it's it's just when he's in. So and, 16 and I don't passes, know why they don't throw it. Yeah, 16 passes in six weeks when he's played a, a pretty decent amount of snaps for a backup quarterback is not enough. And it's just, it's just, it doesn't look normal. Like they put him in and it's like it's immediately on lockdown. So, um I, I mean, we'll ask about this week. I mean, I know Ryan Day has been asked about it before, but but he has to have a chance. I was like, he must answer for this. It's not that. But it's like, Ryan, this is like we have, you know, this is a thing that people are asking about because it, it has reached the point where it feels odd to the average person. Man, they're not letting the guy throw. Why don't they let the guy throw? I thought he's, he's a five-star who's going to be the starting quarterback next year. The guy that they... Pick Kyle McCord over. J.J. McCarthy is like running in circles, throwing three touchdowns for Michigan. Why can't Kyle McCord throw it on first and 10 against Michigan State late in the third quarter? Let him throw. Last break. When we come back, cornerbacks on Buckeye Talk. All right, guys. I, I guess I'm just going to read the, the, the questions I grabbed, and I could have grabbed 20 questions about the corners, maybe 40 but I'll read them all, and then we can talk cornerbacks. From the 4-4-0, how much longer are they going to give these starting corners to get it together? It seems like every unit on the team is playoff ready, except I think they mean the corners. From the 4-4-0, which of Denzel Burke or Cam Brown is going to be replaced by Jordan Hancock when Hancock comes back? From the 5-1-3, is the cornerback issue a lack of talent, a lack of execution, or an issue with the scheme? From the 808. Is the suspect cornerback play an issue of players not making plays or coaching? We've seen multiple games now with pass interference penalties where the cornerback is not looking back for the ball. This is the bigger picture question from the 6-3-0. Even with the corners being a liability, can anyone truly take advantage of it enough to beat Ohio State? And then this is big, big picture. This is probably a little unfair, but from the 8-1-3, was Tim Walton a bad hire? I know it's only six games in, but the corners have looked very shaky thus far and largely against average competition at best. I thought it was a little strange that Walton was coaching safeties in the NFL and Eliano coached corners at Cincinnati, yet their job duties at Ohio State are flipped. Again, it's early, but I'm worried that Tim Walton is veering dangerously close to Bill Davis territory. Well, that is, wow. Yeah, I'm we not were having like far. We were having like Bill, I mean, like the whole, like, I'm sure there were Ohio State fans watching Baron Browning Tear it up on yeah. Thursday night in the NFL and screaming Bill Davis's fault at the TV because that is true. No, um, Washington was his coach for three years. Let's um, leave 
this aside for let's not make it a Tim Walton issue at the moment. Nathan, do you think they're on a verge of changing how they play the corners when everybody's healthy? Because J.K. Johnson had played at least 50 snaps in three of the last four games, but primarily because guys were in and out of the lineup. Um, and then against Michigan State, when Brown and Burke were both healthy, J.K. Johnson did not start. But when Cam Brown had the issues that we mentioned earlier, and I made us wait to have this conversation, they took Cam Brown out and put J.K. Johnson in. It's, was that hot hand? Proctor Ransom? Or was that the beginning of the next time Ohio State plays? Would we expect that if Cam Brown and Denzel Burke are both healthy, J.K. Johnson still might be starting? No, because they did the same thing with Burke. They put Johnson in in Burke's place when Burke was struggling against Arkansas State yeah. a month ago. And it was still Burke's job starting the next game. Um, so I, I don't think that is... To answer your larger question... Everything they've told us about Jordan Hancock, everything we knew, everything we saw, everything we were hearing from people coming into the season was he was going to be a big part of this. So I think if he is healthy for the Iowa game, I don't think he starts, but I think we start to see him on the field, and I think he could be in the mix for a starting job before the end of the season. He's the one that I think could maybe force somebody out. But as you said, like they keep putting J.K. Johnson into these games and keep going back to those two starters. For a reason. So either J.K. Johnson, when they're in terms of like practice reps, is still not performing up to the standard of those three guys, or the other two guys, I'm sorry. But but something's got to give because like it, it's it's so strange because every nine positions on this team are making confident plays on the ball, and then whatever's happening at cornerback is happening. And it's a very stark contrast right now. And maybe because the rest of the defense is playing so well that in a weird way puts the corners on even more of an island. I don't know. But this thing where Ryan Day is like, boy, like I, I don't know. Because like, they're right there. They're just not making the plays. Like I don't. Do you say that about any other position? No. Like, and that is like, why the, I The don't... receiver's open. He's just not catching the ball. Yeah. And, the, <laughs> yeah. and that's why the question was kind of phrase of is this more on like the player or is it on the coach I would lean more player because of that because this coach's job is to put you in a position to make a play but the player still has to like make the play and and we 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 talked about this they have said it they are step for step with these wide receivers they said it again after the game today single week they are step for step with guys it's just when it's time to make a play on the ball they don't make a play on the ball and then i'll even take it a step further there's other times where they don't make a play on the ball but then they also don't do something to get back into the play and make a tackle so it's not a touchdown or a bigger game or a lesser game than it ends up being so that that screams to me more guys just aren't making the plays even if they're put in the position to do so I, I thought maybe Cam Brown in this game was a little less right there. More handsy. And, but was more been. like, eh, I think he might have gotten beat on that. You know, like I thought. Well, but it's also a guy who hadn't played in three weeks. Yeah. Like there's uh, that's been a factor. I think Burke's injuries, plural, have yeah. been a factor in the way that he's played. I'm not making excuses for them. I just think that's been a legitimate contributing factor that you have to remember when you're talking about so, physical stuff. I, I just, 
And it's not like, listen, J.K. Johnson, and it's just a guide. His PFF grade's not through the roof. It's actually better. It's lower than Denzel Burke's and on the season. He gave up a touchdown right? today, so, so it's not like he... I mean, it's, he's not infallible. But, so there's what we think the coaches will do and what we think should be done. Do you think they would be a better football team if J.K. Johnson started instead of either a healthy Denzel Burke or a healthy Cam Brown against Iowa? I guess to me, it doesn't seem like it would be worse... So considering the play of those other two guys, maybe motivationally, I don't know. Maybe it's worth it. I mean, next week would be the week to try to have the short leash because it's not like I was going to score. So you know, right. and I'm you I'm can, joking, but in all next week would you the could team, put Christina M. Johnson yeah, in quarterback. She's an athlete. Yeah, she's a division She was of the teams left in Ohio State schedule. Next week would be the week where if Tim Walton wanted to have a short lease with guys, he could, and not even just with J.K. Johnson. Zaire Brown was pretty decent. We yeah, had to step in and start, and we have just not seen him at all. So I do think next week, if Denzel Burke or Cam Brown is getting DPIs or getting beat or not having any level of competitive excellence, or as Ryan Day likes to say, competitive stamina, that word's getting used way too often. But this would be the week to go, okay, I'm snatching you, I'm putting J.K. out there. Okay, J.K.'s not getting it done. Okay, I'm snatching you, and I'm putting Jair Brown out there. And at this point, I'd even throw Ryan Turner out there. He's I mean, He's got a sack. I, well, so <laughs> you know? I, I just I want to ask that question on Tuesday. Be like Ryan or Jim. If we get Jim Knowles, like, is there a chance that you guys start Johnson at corner next time? Like, well, J.K. Like, no, I'm sorry, I didn't specify. <laughs> oh, I'm not J.K. Johnson. Yeah, K.M. Johnson. Um, I like that. I also want to start like calling J.K. Johnson like president. The president. <laughs> Iowa Spencer Petras no will not test. The Ohio State cornerback. Sean Clifford throwing to Parker Washington. Maybe. And Michael Tinsley and that other guy. Uh, maybe. And maybe. balanced with a with an effective with a, run. Maybe. Yeah. Northwestern, Ryan Halinski, no. Indiana, Connor no. Bazelak, no. no. Maryland, yes. Talia Tongavailoa, and a, a receiver room that actually probably goes three or four deep, even beyond Jarrett and Demas. Um, potentially, yes. Certainly potentially, yes. And then Michigan, J.J. McCarthy and Ronnie Bell and Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson. Yeah, but you really, really, really might not find out until, you until like it's USC the playoff, until like you don't want to find out. But again, like the Bama receivers aren't great. The Georgia receivers aren't great. The Clemson receivers aren't great. Like this but, is one of those things. They're not going to play anybody better than their, their receivers. So it's like right. one of those, could you get by, could Ohio State get by with, you can't get killed, but... Like, they're not going to play Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. They're not going to play Devontae Smith, right? They're, they're not – that's not who's in – they're not going to play Mike Williams. That's not who's in their way. Those guys aren't – like, maybe Jordan Addison and Mario Williams at USC, right? Maybe. But, again, the USC offense hasn't been setting the world on fire every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best receivers in the country are in the are in, a, in Columbus. Why haven't the wide receivers and the cornerbacks both been elite here at the same time? Well, I mean, when the cornerbacks were awesome here, they weren't throwing it as much, and so like Michael Thomas was elite. But like, I'm just, when, I know, but I'm but, just saying, in, yeah. it's like back when Kerry Combs well, was having like Kerry Combs left. And yeah, the, but it's the just like fell off a corner. But you would just think, I'm just thinking from a, a straight just on the field perspective, you would think that elite cornerback play going up against that in practice every day would raise the level of the wide receiver play and vice versa. And well, it doesn't well, seem but to you got to have the talent. I, well, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta have the dudes. Yeah, here's the other thing to remember about cornerbacks. We talked ad nauseum coming into the season that 
Denzel Burke. We needed to be maybe prepared for like some regression, not not regression to the mean, but like the He's difference not between good being for a freshman. Anymore. The difference between yeah, the difference between the freshman context and then how good is he this year standing alone. And then Cam Brown was like a top two fifty prospect, wasn't he? Like he was fine. I mean, he's been he's been a solid player, dogged by injuries his entire yeah. high school career. But the two top and still has dogged never by been injuries. a lights but the out. The two starter. top right. recruits on this roster right now are J.K. Johnson, who basically missed all last well, year. They're really in top two hundred though. Like they were. Yeah, like, I know. Top but like the point top... that, but is like one's not playing right now, and the other one basically missed his entire freshman right. year. So you've got this isn't a situation where you're looking at oh, Ohio State got these like five star yeah. corners, or it's like third year top one hundred. Guys, and what's going on? It's it's a no, weird we're still mix in the dip. Of, we're still in the dip yeah. at corner, and, and we thought Jordan Hancock, Jordan Hancock, and J.K. Johnson are the solution to the retru- recruiting dip at corner. And one hasn't played all year because he's right. hurt, and the other one we're talking about should he start? Yeah, but but Hancock was the one. If you had asked yeah. us in mid July, which one is yeah. going to like push this cornerback room up? We would have all voted Hancock, and he hasn't taken a snap. Right. And, so I, and again, as you you've mentioned, multiply like that is potentially an injury, and I don't think it's been underrated because we talk about it a lot. Like we almost don't understand maybe how much they miss him because he hasn't played at all, right? And mm-hmm. we might understand it when, if and when he does come back, we might be like, oh wow, did they well, miss him? Yeah, because remember, the, and the last time this happened was 2020 when Cam Brown got hurt, but back then it was a depth thing. It was like how much would they have been able to like use him to plug in here and there? It might have changed the complexion yeah. of that defense a little bit. But here it's it's front line. Like he would have been like Hancock might be starting right now, considering all of the other issues they've had. And the other thing we have to say because we had this conversation off Mike, Clark Phillips could yep. should be here, and Clark Phillips is one of the best cornerbacks in college football. And one of you guys said like if Clark Phillips was here, like you might be planning the parade route. Well, yeah, you <laughs> you like what would be the flaw you would be talking about with this team right now? It would be Jaden Fielding's kicking the ball off. Too much kicking the ball out bounds too much. That would be like the one flaw yeah. you'd be talking about with this team yeah. right now. I'm not even being hy- hyperbolic there. Like they would have a, yeah. one of the best cornerbacks in the country, proven. So because even then it's like, oh, Denzel and Cameron Brown are or Cameron Brown isn't playing on the other side. Then we're having the oh Jordan Hancock coming yeah. back. So you know, blame Tim Walton if you want, but Tim Walton was like coaching guys in the NFL back when Ohio State's. Coaching staff was yeah. messing its pants and in, 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 on this cornerback room. And that's what you're left with. You're still trying to dig out of that. But the good news is you got six games left. I, I answered a question this week, and hey, Nathan, about this, because somebody asked me if, do I think Denzel Burke's going to get benched? And I said, no, I think he's going to keep the job through the end of October at worst, partially because I didn't know yet even if Cam Brown was going to be able to come back and play. Mm-hmm. So that was a big part of it. But but secondly, because he's he doesn't look like he did last year. As much as I was as like skeptical of him being like an all American level cornerback this year, there's things are off there. And I think the injuries have he is in need of a week off more than anybody on this team who isn't legitimately like full on injured. He he hurt that shoulder against Michigan State last year. Yeah. On a pretty good play. But also he hasn't really looked the same since the Michigan game. I, you know what I was thinking about today was being at that Thanksgiving thing last year that they did between yeah. the Michigan State-Michigan game and talking to Denzel Burke about that shoulder and him being like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, I'll be playing this mm-hmm. week, whatever. But, like, that has lingered for him. It lingered into the pre—or probably, I mean, maybe got aggravated, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was still a problem in preseason. And he just needs— 
He needs a mental break. Mm-hmm. He needs a physical break too. But I think he also just needs some time in the lab. Like when you're in season, things can kind of the turnaround can pile up pretty quick. I think he probably just needs some distance mentally this week, but then also just instruction and it, like some focused instruction on on correcting just the small fundamental things that are, are going wrong for him. Especially at that position where you are on an island and when you do make mistakes, everybody sees it. And I mean, we're still talking about teenagers who are probably reading about it and it's building up and it's, it's kind of building on itself at this point. And uh, Jaheim Singletary's not here. And um, he, now listen, you just, you said you want to play Ryan Turner. Ryan Turner, yeah. was like, Jaheim Singletary yeah. was a five-star recruit who was committed to this class. He's third string on Georgia's depth chart right fine. now. He's a true freshman. Yeah. It's not like he's playing. At a school but there are only round, yeah. six scholarship cornerbacks in this room. Yeah, I said and that jokingly. Was, hurt. I, I said it jokingly with Turner. If but Singletary was here, I wouldn't be Jair saying that. Jair Brown joke. started yeah. the game. This I year. wouldn't be saying it jokingly if Jaheim Singletary was here. So, so yeah, like, should Ohio State be playing true freshman? But like, like they're desperate. They really are. I was gonna say oh, I'm not desperately missing Clark Phillips. They are. No, they're yeah, desperately missing Clark Phillips. And then also they had another potential solution mm-hmm. who at least was committed at one point. And I write it was not a huge shock, I guess, when he decommitted and went. No, to it wasn't. But still, but it they does, had it doesn't, point. just because it's not a huge shock doesn't make it burn any less. And even true freshman that corner, we've seen enough five star true freshman that corner over the last couple of seasons here that it wouldn't have been crazy for Jaheim Singletary in week six to force his way onto the field here. Again, I mean, it's it's, it's very difficult here because what we're basically talking about is. Man, is Denzel Burke playing well enough right now? You know what they could really use to replace Denzel Burke? A Denzel Burke. Like we're <laughs> longing like, for last year Denzel Burke yeah, while admitting that the standard has now changed and we expect more of Denzel Burke, but we're searching for an inexperienced guy who maybe would play better than him. I mean, it's a very odd spot for them. And again, what they also could have used maybe was Ryan Watts or Legend Cavazos to develop a little bit more so they didn't lose yeah, two yeah. corners out of their room, they, and here we are. That's the class that needed to have a Denzel Burke because you didn't have a top 100 guy when you lost uh, 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 Clark Phillips, and so like one of those guys plays better than his ranking. With Denzel Burke doing it, it's cool, but it's like, yeah, but these two top 50 recruits are going to come along eventually. It, it could be worse, though, because remember last year, the rest of this defense had so many problems. You could run the ball so easily on Ohio State last year's run the ball so easily on that front six, front seven, that the cornerback play only exasperated that. Right now, yeah. they're choking off the runs so well that the cornerback play isn't really a factor there. So now you're forcing teams to throw the ball, and if you, the more teams feel like they have to throw the ball, like tonight, the attempts got up to 28, I think, for Michigan State, and Ohio State had four sacks. Now, my outrageous prediction was five with at least four from the defensive ends, and tonight it was four with none from the defensive ends. So, well, t- I mean, I'll, I'll help you out. My call is technically on the end when they go with the jack. Okay, so but, I'll give but you a still, bit. it's not okay. Spirit of the law, I suppose. I maybe yeah. I get a piece of that, but you know what I'm saying. Like I, yeah. the 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 more the teams feel like they would want to load up and, and attack with the pass, I think that those sack numbers are going to go up too. I, there is pressure there, um, like I wrote about it earlier this week, that with the sack rate. So, like, it's it, it's not – the question is, like, do we think it's so bad 
that it'll capsize their season when they run into the wrong team? Uh, maybe. Um, but but maybe that team doesn't exist. Is actually like the it's like the theoretical wrong is, team, which is, has been the thing sometimes with Ohio State is they have an issue that is like a bad issue, but who is going to actually exploit it? It's like is Ohio State's cornerback play this year's Alabama's right tackle last year, where it's like that might be like the worst thing anybody's putting out there among the playoff teams. But oh, oh, my lo- oh wait, no, no. People are sleeping, Stephen. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> they were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh well. The cornerbacks are tense to bin it. I'm not gonna do it because it's <laughs> yeah. late. You're, you're like you're like trying to to egg me on to do a post midnight Stetson Bennett. How dare you? The cornerbacks um, are Stetson Bennett. I mean, I mean, it is because it's one of those things where when the run defense was an issue last year, and listen, C.J. Verdell is not Ezekiel Elliott, but Oregon had a competent run game that could make Ohio State play, and then Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins were pretty pretty darn good, mm-hmm. and they could make them pay. I don't even know if okay, hey. You're Ohio State. Your run defense is a problem. And in game 12, you face Blake Corman and Hassan Haskins. And you were exploited. Are they even going to face a, a passing game? I guess they might face the quarterback. Because Bryce Young could do that. Um, Stetson Bennett may, Stetson Bennett had like 20 passing yards I in mean, the first half on Saturday. Tennessee Caleb Williams is really good. Hendon Hooker could but, do oh, it. But even then, like they're kind of in but the I, same situation. I'll say they're without their best receiver, maybe for the year. But I don't know, like... The receivers, I don't know that they're going to face any receivers who will be as good as Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins were as running backs last year. USC, so, maybe, but even then, it's. Uh, Caleb I mean, Jordan Williams, has someone with the Boletnikoff. Yeah, yeah, but it, even with that, it's like Caleb Williams is a different type of quarterback than see. That's an interesting thing to get into in the offseason, a different type of quarterback between a Ryan Day quarterback and a Lincoln Riley quarterback, because Caleb Williams and, and, and Kyler Murray, they're not like. 70% completion percentage, guys. And, and so even U- then, USC it's like, is not dropping 50 spots. On right. People. So it's not like Caleb Williams doesn't feel like the I'm going to pick you apart surgically type of quarterback that he's going to make these corners pay and pay. But of course, there's going to be some explosive plays. But you know who Ohio State would really be worried about? Ohio State. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, if you were like, oh my God, um, this Ohio State defense. To get to to win a national championship has to beat C.J. Stroud, Emeka Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., and we assume Jackson Smith and Jigba. They have no chance to do that, but they're on their team, and there is not a passing offense that I that really feels like even in range of that. The depth, the multiple matchups, the accuracy and poise of the quarterback, the play caller, all those things. Like the, I, it may very well be that the only offense that should truly exploit the problems at corner for Ohio State is Ohio State, and they could just joke about that during the parade. Hey, you're lucky you have to play us. How's your ring? You know, I mean that that might be where we are. But also, like Bryce Young might be sitting in Tuscaloosa, being like, ha 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 ha, like give me a shot at those guys. So, I mean, he did win the Heisman. Okay, we'll cut it off there. Uh, we're going to have a full range of podcasts during this off week. We will have interviews with Ryan Day and several assistants. That is a plan for Tuesday. So expect texts firing away on Tuesday. Well, we will have the, the pod on Monday where Nathan and I kind of go through sort of what happened in national college football. Um, we're going to have some like kind of midseason stuff this week on the pod. We'll probably re-rank the best players. We might do some midseason awards. 
Um, but we're, we're going to hit you with at least five podcasts this week. So Ohio State's not playing. They are off. They will host Iowa the following week. Penn State, Michigan is next week, though. So you have some football that should keep you interested. Um, but for now, we appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your Ohio State football experience. Read our stories at cleveland.com, cleveland.com slash OSU. For Stephen Means and for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.